This episode of Systematic contains explicit language, uh, just as fair warning. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Patrick Roan. He's a, he's a return guest. I'm, I'm not going to do too much introduction. He has a lot to say. How's it going, Patrick? <laughs> oh, I'm doing all right. I'm hanging in. I'm I'm determined. I'm going to make it through the end of this year. If it if it kills all of us, which it's looking more and more like it's trying to do. I very uh, rarely swear on this show. In fact, I don't think I've ever sworn on Systematic. Yeah, that's okay. I would like can, to echo a common up. sentiment and say, "Fuck 2016." Fuck, fuck it, man. Fuck it to hell because this, <laughs> it's just. It's brutal. I was I was talking about this with my wife where, you know, it's like, okay, you know, in times like this, you want to just like hold on and reflect and just enumerate all of the good things that have happened. And we, we can't deny the fact that there have been, you know, in mine and her life over the past year that we've we've had some really great things. I mean, we flew out to New York and saw Hamilton with the original cast. That was great. Um, we celebrated our, our 10 year wedding anniversary in Paris. And that was amazing. And we just got back from London literally last week. And that was like just, you know, lovely and wonderful and such a nice break and such a reminder of how 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 both big the world is and small it is at the same time. And, you know, just that kind of feeling of connection over, you know, kind of our our shared recent political histories that we felt with almost everyone we encountered in London Um, and all of this. But. This really horrible stuff just seems to keep coming and coming and coming week after week. Like, with, you just don't seem to get a break for it from it. There's no period where you can say, you know, wow, that was a good week where, like, you know, <laughs> iconic rock stars didn't die. You know, <laughs> it reminds you of, 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 you know, your, your, your fickle and fleeting youth where, like, you know, people around you didn't, uh, you know, slit their wrists or blow their brains out, you know, <laughs> like, you know, but the fact that, you know, that it's, yeah, there's not a single week this year, it seems like that you can't pick something and just go, wow, that really sucked. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I, I've been thinking this since August, I realized that, wow, this is piling up to be a banner year for Things that make me just not want to be alive anymore. <laughs> not like uh-huh. I'm suicidal, but, but just like, what's the point if everything's this bad? Why don't we all just fly to Mars? Well, it's a and... great year to recruit people to move to Mars. <laughs> no kidding. It's perfect. Oh. Um, I mean, uh, I was uh, saying, so I was at a holiday party this past weekend. And, uh, you know, we got talking about kind of recent events and, uh, I made the joke about, you know, well, you know, how's your passport? Is your passport (laughs) in order? And, and, uh, my friend Whitney, you know, replied back. She said, actually, uh, we're, we've got family in British Columbia and we're, we've, we've been in talks with them about, you know, about uh, what the situation might be if we, if we need to come up for a while and by a while i mean four to eight years right and uh 
I, I said, you know, my wife and I have had very serious, similar conversations about other countries, but like realistic conversations such that like we sent a message to our financial planner, just making sure that we had enough liquidity to a not only do that, but also to have access to those funds outside of the country and making sure that enough of those funds are outside of the country that they can't be frozen. So here's the I mean, thing, it's though. as crazy as that sounds. And I said to her, wait, I just want to end with, I've never in my lifetime been in a situation where I'm even having to think about being anywhere other than America. So here's the thing, though. If all of the smart, empathetic, sympathetic people leave the U.S., Oh, you'll be stuck with crazies. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if we leave the country to the crazies, and I count myself as, I'd say, smart and sympathetic, potentially <laughs> empathetic. If we leave the country to the crazies and and people filled with uninformed hatred, America becomes a Fourth Reich, and America has the military and the power to go way further than Germany ever did. Yeah, and cool. And no matter where you go that would haunt you, like that would affect your life yeah. in any country. No, it's, it's, it's absolutely true. And that's why I, I kind of began this with, you know, talking about my trip to London and just how big, but yet how small we are, right? <laughs> how, how, uh, you know, how in many ways, you know, they've gone through some similar reckoning uh, recently about who they are as a people um, and that they thought that they were a united people uh, only to find out in literally 24 hours that they're not nearly on the same page as they thought they were before. Um, I've been meaning to write about this. And we really, we've got other things we can talk about there. I, I think this <laughs> Believe it or not, everything we just, have to talk about. Exactly. Just as depressing. Um, but um, I uh, had the occasion uh, last year to visit the, uh, the uh, Civil Rights Museum in Memphis that is uh, connected to part of the Lorraine Motel uh, where Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. Um, and there's, you know, this large civil rights museum there. And the design of the museum is extremely interesting, the interior design. It is such that um, you go through these various sections of, you know, kind of history as you're going throughout the museum. But it's worked out in such a way that you can never really see kind of what what area is coming up next. You know, like with a with a gallery, like in a museum or something like that, you're in the Impressionist and you can kind of just peek across the way, you know, even if it's in a separate room and kind of see, oh, okay, I kind of see the artwork coming up next, whatever. This is not designed that way. This is designed in such a way so that not only can you not really see what's coming up next, you can't even really have a sense of where you came from, right? And 
um, where you are at any point within the complex itself. Like the moment you kind of enter into that museum experience, your uh, sense of direction and of um, continuity um, is completely obliterated. Uh, so much so that you actually go up an entire floor and come down an entire floor without even realizing that you've actually gone up a floor, <laughs> right? Like, like you know, you're no longer on the first floor. You're on the second floor, right? Um, it's that subtle. This sounds fascinating, but at the same time, um, potentially destructive. Well, here's the deal. That's what oppression feels like. Yeah. And, and it's, it's intentional in its design where you're never quite sure kind of what's going to happen next, what's coming up next. You're also not quite sure how you got to where you are, where you are within the system, right? That you are um, basically just kind of being carried along where it wants to carry you along with no real control or sense of control or sense of escape, it's designed that way. I think that's and, also how oppression happens. Right. <laughs> and I think that that's one of the reasons why people like you and me and so many of the other people we know and so many of the people we follow on Twitter and maybe we're in just this big liberal bubble and that's okay. I'm happy to be there. But um, that's the sense that I think we're all feeling. It's like I'm not sure what this place is. And I'm not even really sure how we ended up here because I thought that we were this thing and I'm now finding out that in fact we're this. And even though I heard rumblings that we might be that, I never really believed it because it wasn't really that real. And I have no sense of where this is going. And all I can imagine is the worst places imaginable. Right. Yeah. And and that is, I think, you know, the way that that museum is designed, I think, is a perfect metaphor for how um, many of us are feeling a microcosm. Yes. Of human thought. Oh, yeah. I think this is the year that bubbles crossed. I think this is the year that streams crossed and everything exploded because yeah. all of a sudden we couldn't. We used to laugh, you know, we'd be like, oh, look what this person said on Twitter over in this other bubble. What a horrible yeah. person. Yeah. Let's all let's all just, you know, we'll subtweet really funny <laughs> things about them. Mm -hmm. And this year it became our bubbles crossed the yeah. we'll call them the alt right and the liberal left. Mm -hmm. We were suddenly forced to pay attention to this thing that existed in way numbered way larger numbers than any of us thought so then there are personal issues like we've all mm -hmm. it's not just 2016 was a bad election that we all you know are smarting from this is a year where as you said i mean as a minnesotan i lost prince as a mm -hmm. music lover i lost leonard cohen those two oh alone in the same year but then tell me about it you know bowie yeah. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, seriously. So many that you've actually forgotten who died at the beginning of the year. 
(laughs) You you don't have enough time to mourn the one before the next one goes. But then there are, like, everyone I talk to in in their personal lives this year has been, uh, like, not just bad, but, like, worst in their personal lifetimes. And and you've, you've been through some really rough things. Um, let's uh, preface that though as early as yesterday in fact let's preface that with with you've you've dealt with your own mental health issues and depression mm-hmm. for a long time and you've yeah. not been you've not I'm been 49 now it. and I was I was diagnosed as uh, well at the time it was it was called uh, manic depressive um, at uh, the age of 14 so um, you know give that a little bit of perspective that's over 30 years um uh no and i'm not shy about talking about that because it needs to be talked about that's part of the problem um uh so uh some interesting things about cancer Because a lot of people don't know this, especially a lot of younger folks, where now, you know, we talk about cancer all the time. We're going to, you know, we, we know people that have cancer and, you know, we, we, we support them. We say they're going to beat it and we buy the pink stuff in the stores and we, you know, we give the money to the runs and, you know, all this other stuff. Right. Um, and so, yeah, cancer is this thing that we now know, you know, affects so many people touches so many people um, that we've poured a tremendous amount of money into and actually have probably, you know, been closer, obviously, than any other point in history is of actually like we're on a lot of people don't know this. We're on the cusp of curing a number of cancers like we're like right kind of there. Right. Yeah. Um, at that nexus. Um, that wasn't always the case. Um, not very long ago, um, even up to about 40 years ago, um, cancer was this thing that you got and you didn't really talk about. It was kind of shameful and it was almost certainly a death sentence because the amount that they could do for you was minimal at best. There weren't a ton of medications that could um, fight it. Um, uh, Chemotherapy and radiation therapy were at their very kind of early um, stages. They weren't necessarily sure that, you know, how well it worked and it didn't work very well. Uh, Most of the time the chemo uh, poisoned you to death or the radiation uh, actually made the cancer worse. So, um, you know, there, uh, you know, there was a lot that uh, couldn't uh, necessarily be done. And even before that, um, even before it had a name, uh, you know, it was this thing that was referred to as wasting disease. Because you would get it and just kind of waste away. Um, it was is this that thing. What wasting disease is? Yeah. I didn't know that. Now you know. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> so when you read about this in some you know novel from the 30s or 40s, you now know what they were talking about. It was cancer. Um, uh, that it was uh, you know this thing that was kind of talked in low hushes, right? In many ways, it was very much like mental illness. And uh, what what changed about that is um, 
really the the, the language and the perception. Um, uh, when people woke up and started realizing that it affected so many people close to them, right? That it was their mothers or their children or their sisters or their brothers or their friends or their, you know, they're like, no, I, you know, that's not a bad person for not eating the right things or not doing the right things. And he, he got cancer. That's something that, you know, he was genetically, it's not his fault. And, and, and you know what, we now have, like, we can fight this. And if we throw enough money at it, we can, we can win. And we changed the language from cancer being something that you suffer to something that you survive. Something that you, you know, that you uh, succumb to, to something that you beat, something that you fight, something that you, excuse the uh, bad language, fuck, fuck cancer. We're going to fuck it, you know? And, you know, it's, it's this, like, you know, the language changed to one of triumph, of victory, of, of, of bravery, of, uh, you know, you walk into the store and there's pink shit everywhere. You know that the, none of the money that you spend on the pink shit is really going to the cancer, but you don't care because people see the pink and they think, oh, you're supporting a cause that we believe in because we know we can win. <clears throat> now I'm going to tell you something. More people are affected directly or indirectly by mental illness than by cancer. One in five of us is affected directly by a mental health, mental illness episode within their time. It doesn't have to, we're not talking about someone who's like, you know, like me diagnosed at 14 and, you know, uh, probably had it all his life sort of thing. You know, there are, you know, there's postpartum depression, right? Which is just as much a serious mental illness as anything else. Um, but usually, you know, can be you know, treated and last for a certain period of time, um, or can last longer. It really depends, but you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. You know, there's, there's, you know, you know, people who go through, a, a, I don't know, a divorce or a breakup or something like that. And they, you know, can't get, get out of bed for a few days because they're so upset by it and they lose weight because they kind of stop eating and they, you know, but eventually they kind of get over it and they move on and they meet someone new and everyone's happy. Well, guess what? That period when they were they were suffering from depression, even though it didn't last their whole lives, it lasted for that time. And during that period, the people around them were being affected by that, right? Um, you know, the people who wanted to try to help, you know, the who came over and said, it's going to be okay, you'll find somebody new, and, you know, here, let me fix you a sandwich, <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, it, those people were affected by that person's temporary depression, Right. Um, so all of this is to say, <clears throat> if we have that kind of perception and language change with cancer, because it began, it, we found that it affected so many people that without it, there was no chance of ever beating it or finding a cure without first changing the language. This is the reason why we need to talk about mental illness. This is the reason why it needs to be in your constant conversation. And this is the reason why we need to change the language we use when we talk about it. Because mental illness is 100% treatable. It is 100% survivable. 
it, it can be lived with, it can be dealt with, and there is so little that we know about it. There is so little that we know about how to properly treat it. Um, because unlike cancer where we can take a biopsy and get some cells and take a look at those cells and come up with a right way that, you know, we can treat that particular literally, you know, unique, uh, instance of cancer. Um, we can't do that with the human brain. We what can't, we know, but no. with cancer, we have been long reliant on the pharmaceutical industry to put the R and D into treatments. It is a medical condition yes. that, that I do believe honestly could have been fixed a long time ago. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Mental but... illness is still at the point before we can even worry about that. People <laughs> people don't even want to acknowledge it, let right. alone start working the, on treating it. And that's exactly why we have to talk about it, exactly why we have to change the language that we use. It's so, yes. Been, I, I So I think you and I both, we've never been shy about talking about our own mental illness. No. Nope. And... To me, that's always just been natural. I'm like, this is th this is a thing I, I've learned that affects me, and it explains a lot of what I've experienced in my life. And I wanna I wanna talk about that. That's just part yeah. of who I am. Yeah. But I am surprised almost daily, especially after we do an episode like this. I'll get emails from people who say this meant so much to me that you're willing to talk about this because and, I can't. Right. Yeah. And, and I didn't realize that there were people that, that couldn't, I've just kind of forced my life to take a path based on my willingness <laughs> to talk about what, what's happening to me. And, and I, it, right. it, to, okay. So a great, I feel great that me talking about things like this help people, mm -hmm. but I'm also saddened and even shocked by the fact that just me talking about something that affects me helps people. Like mm -hmm. what how how bad is the situation that this is you know that's a brave move. Yeah. Well, and we have to let those people know that even facing it silently, facing it alone is brave too. We have to let them know that they, too, are mental illness survivors, that they, too, are fighting it on a daily basis. And the fact that they wake up and get out of bed in the morning is a victory. It is a win. It is basically saying, fuck mental illness. Screw you. Go to hell. I can I can beat you. They need to know that especially and they don't have to let the world know, and especially in 2016 when there's so much to not get out of bed about. The fact that you do is a, a, a tremendously brave thing to do. It is hard. It, it, it takes courage um, and it takes a conviction of character that is far greater than somebody who doesn't necessarily have these same struggles. They need to know this. Um, and that's why, you know, I mean, people reach out to me whenever I talk about this stuff, whenever I post about this stuff on my blog, and especially given my recent uh, history and struggles, which we can talk about, um, um, that um, the number of people that, that write in, I write back to them and I say, 
look, you're a survivor. You should be proud. You should be, you know, you should give yourself credit for being so brave to having the courage to face this down and to say no, because, because just yesterday morning, we found out that sometime on Sunday night, a good friend of ours, a close friend of ours, probably one of the most naturally compassionate people I've ever met. She was our doula when, uh, when Beatrix was born. A doula is uh, basically a non-medical uh, birth assistant. Uh, and not just birth, but also, I mean, prenatal, they're helping the mom, helping her prepare, helping, you know, get the house ready, you know, talking about, you know, just helping in general, just helping through the pregnancy and post uh, post birth, they're there once again in the house, helping with cleaning, helping with childcare, helping with with what have you. They basically a doula becomes part of your family for that birth period, you know, maybe three months before and three months after. Um, a lovely, lovely young lady um, who was loved by so many people took her own life, had long suffered from deep depression, had uh, really done her best to hide that by taking care of others, by making others' lives better because she couldn't find a way to make hers worth living. That kills me. It should. I haven't had anyone close to me this year commit suicide knock on wood real quick will you please i'm not there you go but my small town of thirty thousand people when the colleges are in session um has seen i think five now this year and i i don't know the background of all of them but especially the high school kids that have have killed themselves all were known to have depression but it's not it's not viewed as a serious threat yeah but it it is in fact deadly it is in fact as deadly as um you know as many cancers honestly <laughs> um it, it it's it's a huge huge problem um and it's something that you know i just i mean you know just just based on facebook alone you know, Vanessa's death has affected a couple of hundred people, yeah. at least. I mean, that's at a minimum. That's just based on Facebook friends, right? You know, that's just based on people who commented on how much they're going to miss her and how they wish they could have let her know how important she was to them and that they feel like they did, but they didn't. And obviously, because she's dead now and she wouldn't have if, he, you know, be if not they true. hadn't. And that's not true. <laughs> but you can't, you know, tell people that because that's they need. They need to grieve. They now need to go through their own mental health crisis. The 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 stages of grief are also wrapped up in that, right? And yeah. that they need to pass through that, and they need to have that guilt because that's part of that stage, right? <sighs> it's it's uh, yeah, it, it sucks and it's horrible, but you know that's the reason why. 
that's the reason why I've pretty much made it as much of my mission as possible to just keep talking about this and to keep talking about it in language that gives people hope that says it doesn't have to end up there because it doesn't. It doesn't yeah. have to end up with death. Um, uh, so, uh, let's talk about my oldest son. <laughs> <laughs> this is, it's not going to be a huge transition, but, uh, no. but yeah, this is, it's just, these are telling details. So go ahead. So my, uh, my oldest son, uh, who's 25 now, who I was somewhat estranged from because of his mental health issues. Um, um, he uh, kind of had a history of violence uh, against me, against my now wife, against his brother, against other people around him. Um, uh, sometime around 18 or 19, had a schizophrenic break. You know, started hearing voices and believing he was God. Um, and uh, referring to himself in the third person. And, uh, and uh, responding to different names. Um, uh, he, you know, has been... Very, uh, very sick, for lack of a better term, uh, for a very long time. At the end of September, um, I won't get into too many of the details, but basically because of his uh, mental illness diagnosis, he was living on uh, Social Security disability. Uh, they had set him up in an apartment literally, you know, less than a mile away from me. Um, you know, which in itself was kind of problematic since I had a restraining order against him because I, uh, you know, I thought he'd come after me at some point. Um, cause he said as much, um, there was it was a bad situation. Basically, his apartment had become a kind of drug squat for a number of his hangers-on friends who, you know, kind of would hang around him because while he's getting this free money from the government and, you know, they could, you know, sit around and keep him crazy and high and uh, not have to go home. But this young lady who had kind of been staying there had uh, had called uh, the previous Wednesday um, and, you know, called my ex-wife and said, you know, hey, uh, he's waving a knife around, talking about killing people, you know, speaking nonsense, that sort of thing. What should I do? <laughs> well, duh, you call the police. Um, and the police came. He had an open warrant from a, for a, a DWI that had happened the previous week they never showed up for court for so they you know took him in and uh, decided he was nuts um and so dropped him off at uh at the local 
uh, hospital for evaluation and uh, to hopefully get put on a 72-hour hold, uh, mental illness hold. Uh, we don't know why, but the hospital decided that he was okay and released him. Don't get me started on that. And so uh, that Friday, the young lady uh, uh, sent her boyfriend over at one in the morning or her boyfriend decided at one in the morning to go back to the apartment to, quote unquote, get her stuff. We don't know why a Friday night at one in the morning you're going to, uh, you know, show up at the door of someone who is mentally ill and paranoid. <clears throat> but he decided to do that. And uh, I we no one knows. No one ever really will know um, what happened. But uh, my son ended up stabbing him to death. That's um, that's a lot. Tell me about it. So my son is currently incarcerated, uh, facing uh, two counts of second degree murder. Um, uh, I won't get into the technicalities of why you face two counts of murder when you've only killed one person, but let's just say that it gives the jury options. Options. He's likely to only actually get found guilty on one of those two counts. Um, based on the evidence, they've got to decide it either was one thing or the other, but regardless. Um, and so uh, he was found not uh, mentally fit to be able to stand trial at this time. Uh, so he has been committed uh, to the state security hospital in St. Peter, Minnesota, where he is currently receiving treatment for his mental health issues with the goal of making him hopefully eventually one day competent to be able to stand and face those charges as a sane and reasonable um, adult. Um and thus uh, provide a proper defense or to agree to uh, uh, plead guilty or plea deal based on uh, his sound and reasoned mind. Um, and so that basically means it's indefinite yeah. that he will be there. Basically everything gets put on hold. The second degree murder charges uh, carry a guideline sentencing between four and 15 years, uh, which uh, may not start until he actually stands trial and is sentenced to something. Um, and it may not include this time already served. You never know. This It's all very complicated from here. And quite frankly, because he's an adult, they really don't have to tell us anything. So everything I'm telling you is based on my own um, understanding, research, conjecture, and doubt. Based on my own understanding of Minnesota's practices and probably uh, not much better throughout the U.S., I don't think that prison time includes a lot of treatment for mental illness. I don't see that being mm. ultimately beneficial. I mean, I'm not, right. I, I'm not criticizing the, the no, justice you should. system. You absolutely should. Yeah. But go ahead. But I, it <laughs> seems like that is e even more of a sentence. So, uh, 
first, let me start by saying I'm reading this really uh, good book that I, I can only read in spurts before I kind of have to put it down um, because it just it makes me so sad and angry. Um, but it's by a Washington Post reporter by the name of Pete Early. Um, he is an he was an investigative reporter for the Washington Post. Um, had uh, actually long focused his investigations on uh, the justice system and judicial matters. Um, turned out he had a son in a very kind of similar circumstance, a son who had a schizophrenic break and uh, got into uh, some trouble with the law. Um, and being an investigative reporter, decided to, well, let's take a look at why it is that so many mentally ill people end up in jail and why they keep ending up there and why they stay there and what resources are available to them there or not and that sort of thing. Basically, you know, that's how he funneled his grief was, you know, into his job. Um, and uh, it's great. It's a book called Crazy. And I highly recommend it, if for no other reason than to make you aware that despite the fact that this was published 10 years ago, <clears throat> not a single thing has changed. The reason I can't read it for any determinate period of time is because it's – it's like it's like reading exactly what I'm going through and exactly what Max, my son, is going through and what he's going to go through and how nothing has gotten better and how nothing probably will until we all collectively as a society change the way that we talk about this, change the way that we deal with it, change the way that we treat it, change the resources that we give to it, and thus change the culture and the system to reflect our new, uh, our new understanding and humanity around it. Um, luckily in Minnesota, um, St. Peter uh, State Security Hospital is actually a very well-regarded facility. Uh, they do have very good people there um, uh, who work in their mental health unit um, in treating mental illness for the purposes of rendering an individual safe for society once again. Um now, the question becomes that that's not their job right now with Max. Their job right now with Max is to make him well enough to be able to stand trial. Let's make the assumption that that will happen within their suspected time frame, which is four to six months. And let's say that Maxim then is able to stand trial, face those charges, Let's just say that as part of a plea or as part of a, you know, a sentencing of any sort, um, he receives the maximum amount of time of 15 years. There is no guarantee that those 15 years will be him spending it in St. Peter continuing to receive treatment. There is no guarantee that 
he won't instead be uh, uh, spending it in jail with no treatment whatsoever. Um, there's no effort, uh, nothing that says the state has to make him well before releasing him back out into the public again. Um, th there's nothing of the sort. And so it really is completely up to the judge, completely up to whatever mood they're in that day as to kind of how that sentencing goes down and looking at the totality of the case and the totality of the person and their long history of mental illness and say, you know what, this person really needs further treatment and they need continued treatment for a very long time because that's what Max needs. In a best case scenario, he would spend as much time as is needed getting the treatment that he needs so that he actually can come out and be a contributing member of society, which <laughs> leads us to the other kind of part of the equation of the justice system, which is, you know, then how is he going to get a job? How is he, you know, he hasn't held down a job in, well, pretty much his entire adult life. So where does that put him? You know, is that a living wage job uh, because of his felony? He may not qualify for Social Security disability anymore. And thus now he's you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. The chances of him coming out and being homeless and unable to have any sort of income, any sort of life makes it almost 100% assured that A, he's going to go off his medication, B, he's going to do something again, and C, he's going to end up right back to where he was getting help, okay. right back to where he had a, a roof over his head and he had three meals a day. And this isn't an uncommon story. This Not is, only is this, this, this is, is a majority story. This is the vast majority. Mm -hmm. And I would say that this is a large majority of the people who are in prison today. They are suffering from mental health issues that are going untreated. And meanwhile, we're putting more money into privatized prisons and yeah. a justice system that does not take into account the actual needs of people who are committing crimes. This is, yes, this is heavy. Nor does it, nor does it uh, provide any sort of resource for them to get break out of that system. It actually is designed to keep them within it. Yeah. Because there's a tremendous amount of money to be made there. Yes. Mm, kind of like cancer I mean, treatment. Yeah. Just to bring that full circle. <laughs> just saying. Way more profitable to treat people than to cure them. It really is. This week's episode of Systematic is sponsored by Smile, to whom I apologize for having to be in such a uh, potentially depressing episode filled with explicit language. But... Let's turn the mood a little bit and talk about giving the gift of smile and giving someone the most precious gift of all, more time. Help friends, colleagues, and loved ones save time by giving them a text expander subscription. Get them up to speed quickly by sharing some of your snippet groups, and then help those you know wrangle PDFs with ease using PDF Pen on the Mac. With PDF Pen, they can scan, OCR, edit, and even export in Word format. It's the Swiss Army knife for PDFs. And for folks on the go, give PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone or PDF Pen Scan Plus using Gift This app on the App Store. For more info, see smilesoftware.com/systematic. Merry Christmas from Smile, 
And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. All right. Well, that brings us to our top three picks. I, is, that, <laughs> is that too much of a switch for us? I don't know. Um, it could be, but uh, let's let's wing it because we need to provide some happiness and yeah. Like personally, oh. I need some happiness because like I have things going on in my own life I can't even talk about yet, which oh, is man. for someone like me very difficult. And and you've got things going on in your life that are amazingly uh, just so far out of the norm. Yeah, that. that I'm surprised you have the capacity to be on systematic right now, but I very much appreciate it. Because, I mean, like I said, if if I can't talk about it, if I can't spread this message, if I can't let people know, hey, there's help, there is help for you. If you're feeling, if you're feeling defeated by any of this stuff yourself, there's... There's help. And it's not just meds. You're going to go to the psychiatrist. They're going to they're going to shove a bunch of pharmaceuticals in your face and, and call you happy. Um, that doesn't necessarily work for everybody. This is a completely inexact science. And you're going to have to spend – it took me 25 years to find to find what worked for me after the ups and downs of pharmaceuticals and everything else. But um, – you know what works for me is is mindfulness uh, meditation and practice. There's a great book, by the way, on that called uh, uh, "The Mindful Way Through Depression." Highly recommend it. Um, so now you've gotten actually two picks before we've even gotten to our three. Uh, Crazy by Pete Early, "Mindful Way Through Depression." Um, but um, yeah, there's hope, and be brave. There's be courageous. You can get up out of bed every morning and feel okay. And it may take a lot of work to feel okay, but okay is so much better than death. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you still get three more top picks though. Oh, I do. Okay. I I have them. Something, something upbeat, lighthearted. All right. So like I said, I just got back from London and I don't know where it was. It was probably, I think we were on the tube back to Heathrow to fly back home. And I was uh, lamenting somewhat, you know, uh, it was like two or three tubes from where we were staying to actually get to the Piccadilly line, which goes to Heathrow. Um, And uh, so, you know, we kind of were trudging through the airport with, or the, I'm sorry, the the tube stations with, you know, all of our luggage and whatnot and uh, cranky uh, eight and a half year old and, and uh, I look down because there are shoes that I fly with because we live in an age where we have to take off our shoes in airports and stuff like that, except if you're in any other airport outside of America, in which case you don't. But since we're going through one that you kind of have to – yeah. So uh, I, uh, I, I wear these slip-ons and they're, they're okay, but they're not great. Um, I'm like, gosh, I wish I had, I wish I had my, 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 my traveling shoes on. Now these shoes I got, uh, you know, these are the shoes I walk around London, Paris, uh, all around Costa Rica. I've, 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 uh, I've hiked in the Smokies. I've, I've done all sorts of things and it just dawned on me. These shoes have seen a lot of miles and a lot of places and they're great. Um, so 
my first recommendation is going to be uh, they're, they're by Merrill. This particular model is the Sonic Glove, but they have a whole line of glove shoes, Merrill Glove line. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're, they're these like minimalist, I put in quotation mark, uh, shoes. But what I love about them is that they pack, you know, because they're minimalist shoes, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, not some big cushioned, overly cushioned athletic thing on them. So they pack really flat. They've got this nice, grippy, vibrant sole. This particular model is kind of made for trail running. Um, they're very durable. Um, and I swear to God, I've probably, you know, I've walked all over Paris, all over London, all over New York City. When If, if I'm traveling anywhere, I'm wearing these shoes when I get there. Um, usually carrying a 40 pound kid on my shoulders while doing so um as she you know gets tired after a bit and then i just pick her up and carry her around and uh lose about 10 10 pounds every trip because i'm getting great exercise so yeah the merrill uh glove line of shoes um and they're great and they've lasted forever and they've seen me through many wonderful trips um, for years Let's uh I actually own a pair of these, but um to be clear, these are not the like five finger, five toe. No. These are actually no, no, no. shoes that Nothing just goofy. Re, they they do I would call them minimalist in that they they do remove all the super arch support and spring loaded heels and all of this mm-hmm. and they do provide a closer to barefoot experience, not a barefoot experience, but certainly um closer than you will get with a normal shoe. I will say that while mine are amazing, both like at my treadmill walking desk and for walking on the street, while they're called trail shoes, I have not liked running on trails with them. No. Well, here's the thing, right? And that is that um, you're going to feel, because they're kind of minimalist, quote unquote, barefoot um, shoes, you're going to feel the rocks. You're going to feel the sticks. You're going to feel the, you know, I've done hiking in Costa Rica and such like that with them. I haven't um, necessarily done trail running with them, which I would imagine would get very annoying very fast. And uncomfortable, uh, yeah. And uncomfortable, but uh, certainly, you know, because you're going to feel rocks underfoot. You're going to feel the trail, as it were. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, but, but, uh, but for for flat level walking, they oh, they take trip. a little bit of getting used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you do, yeah, they feel they feel great. They're amazing. Yeah, I mean, I wear them all day and walk, you know, fifteen twenty miles in them, and you know, take them off. My feet are relaxed and not you know painful or anything. They're great. I took a trip to San Francisco and only brought my crappy sketcher slip-on shoes mm-hmm. and uh i think it took me about a half day i was there for a week it took me about a half day of walking hills in san francisco mm-hmm. before my shins just locked up and i couldn't move <laughs> sat <laughs> yeah. on the curb uh, yeah. so i went to a store and i didn't i didn't get my merrells at that point i bought a pair of like actual walking shoes that mm-hmm. made a huge difference but mm-hmm. then when I got home, I, I invested in some Merrells. And these aren't that expensive. They're under 100 no. bucks. 
Yeah, no, they're they're and I gosh, I'm pretty sure I got mine on sale at like you know REI's one of their like twenty percent off for members sort of things. I, I don't think I spent more than sixty bucks on these. Um, so yeah, you can you can find good end of season sales on them, uh, that sort of thing. And especially now that the kind of minimalist barefoot running craze has died down, um, they they're less uh, in demand and thus. Uh, you know, are more likely to go uh, on clearance and whatnot. So yeah. I, I, I certainly wouldn't pay, you know, I'd pay full price for them if I had to, but just saying you kind of don't have to. You should really look around. Zappos would probably set you up right for around 60 bucks. I, I will second that recommendation. All right. My first one is hopefully a mood lightener. <laughs> we'll see. Um, have you tried Jib Jab? What is Jib Jab? It's, it's an app where you, you take pictures of your own face and your friends' faces, and then you yeah. fit them into outlines, uh-huh. and it will generate everything from uh, animated GIFs, GIFs if you're young, um, yeah. kids, uh, it, <laughs> and, and like put you into very comical little animations and it can do full movies with like oh, um like uh music videos almost where you can insert your yourself and up to five other friends faces and they are hilarious i that i paid awesome. for the premium very quickly because you can only do the videos if you're paying their i think 2.99 a month buck 99 a month i don't even remember yeah. but i use it so frequently because if a reaction gif is good a reaction GIF with your face in it is better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a blast with Jib Jab. See, that that's a mood lightener because you download that and have like hours of fun. It is literally when I when I think about how bad things are going right now. <laughs> you open up Jib Jab. I and do. Faces. <laughs> like make this funny. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> All right. All right. Next one for me. Yeah. Uh, Instant Pot. I've been. I continue to rave about this thing. Instant I, what? I wrote about it on my own site. Instant Pot. The Instant Pot is a combination uh, rice cooker, high pressure cooker. Uh, it, it's it's a slow cooker, um, sautéer. I mean, so uh, the deal with the Instant Pot is that it can make wonderful. Uh, single pot meals uh, with uh, as little interaction as possible uh, in next to next to no time, uh, which for somebody who does all the cooking for his family uh, is fantastic. I use this thing at least four out of seven days a week. Um, and it, uh, and it's great because, you know, because it's a high pressure cooker, um, and because it's got kind of uh, all of these other things kind of built in, you can do things in different stages. So like, you know, if your recipe calls, calls for like, you know, first you've got to saute the onion and garlic and then you've got to put in the, you know, put the beans in and you got to cook those for a certain period of time. And then you do that and, you know, you you put it on and turn on the pressure cooker for X amount of time. You can do all of that right there in that pot. That sounds Which, intriguing. 
which is which is fantastic. What's also great about it is that if you say live a block and a half from a really great co-op, and so you like to go up and like. Yeah, I don't know, get some black eyed peas or get some kidney beans, make some chili or whatever. You don't have to soak the beans first. You don't have to like soak them overnight and like have all of this prep and stuff like that. You literally can just put them in, put the water in, put the lid on, press the beans and grains button and walk away and come back and they are perfectly cooked. Wow. <laughs> it's flipping amazing. Um, rice, you know, I. Yeah, see, I have I, a rice cooker that looks a lot like this. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it basically, it could do white rice and brown rice. If you try to do wild rice or any like harder grain rice, it yeah. fails pretty bad. You, you can you can do any rice you want in this thing. And you literally, you put in, you, you pour the rice in, you pour the water in, you stir it around, you put the t- lid on, you press the rice button, you walk away, you come back, and you have perfectly cooked rice. I do enjoy that the opening line of the marketing material says, it's the third generation programmable pressure cooker designed by Canadians. <laughs> but made in Taiwan. <laughs> I've I've never heard any a designed in Canada. That's not one I'm familiar with. But but hey, with the objectives of being safe, convenient, and dependable, which I those are Canadian values. I'm good with those. It. Are very Canadian values. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I highly if you do any cooking at all, want to save time in the kitchen, want to, um, there's like whole Instapot like fan sites and people that post like recipes for all sorts of things. My wife has made yogurt in it. She's made cheesecakes in this thing. She has, um, uh, uh, you know, soups. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously like chilies and things like that. I've made potato salad in it where I've cut up the potatoes and put eggs in the top and put the lid on and, you know, press the right buttons set it for the right time, open it back up, you have perfectly cooked potatoes, perfectly cooked eggs, you peel the eggs, you chop them up, you throw them back in, and then you throw in your your relish and your whatever else you want in your potato salad, and you mix it up, and boom, you have potato salad that you've made in the Instant Pot. So it looks like there are a, a range of options Yes. Uh, pricing from $100 to 180 Right. Um, I recommend the six-quart model. Um, I think six-quart uh, is a good size for meals for four. Um, uh, you know, if, if you're having to cook larger quantities, you may want to go to the, to the eight-quart model. And then there's like the fancy, the eight quart with the, uh, with the app, the iPhone app, and it's got Bluetooth and everything <laughs> else. Trust me, you don't need this because you're <laughs> going to sounds a little gimmicky. walking away, coming back when it, when it beeps at you and it's done. Like you don't need the app for anything. So I'm, I'm going to caution people. Don't get caught up in the newfangled stuff. Nice. Just get, just, just get, get the, the six quart model and you'll be good. Excellent. All right. All right. So my second pick is actually a recipe. It's become my like favorite snack. 
when I need a snack. My diet has changed so significantly that I don't like sugar anymore. Mm. Uh, so my my evening snacks when I'm snacky have gotten uh, to the point where they are the kind of thing that five years ago I would have scoffed at. I would have called you a health nut, <laughs> a freaky hippie. <laughs> um, but my favorite snack now is it's uh, the recipe I originally used was called the Asian avocado. And mm. basically the idea is that you whip up a soy sauce based kind of paste almost. Uh, the yeah. recipe originally is just ginger, garlic, and soy sauce. And you okay. can just whip, whip up a couple tablespoons worth of it. And then you split an avocado in half, uh -huh. pop out the seed, the pit, and then put the paste into the cavity where the pit oh. comes out. And then you uh -huh. serve it and you eat it with a spoon and it takes five minutes. So, um, so how much soy? I, I use, I use probably a full two tablespoons of soy sauce. And then I generally overload it with ginger and almost as much garlic. Like okay. just using those two to the point where it, it's almost a paste where it runs like molasses. Yeah, I got you. So, and you're whipping this up together like uh, with a whisk, right? I'm, I, I'll do it in a, with a spoon and a little cooking dish that I have. Oh, okay. All right. Just, I'll, I'll generally with, okay. So here's a tip. I don't know if you know this, but uh, ginger is one of the few uh, roots slash vegetables that you can freeze without yes, changing yeah. flavors. So I keep all right. my ginger in the freezer. Yeah, I keep also, a thing of it. Yeah. Also has the benefit of making it really easy to grate with like a zester mm -hmm. or a fine grater. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'll just you literally grate. just take it out and just grate it. Yep. Don't even have to like peel it or anything like that. Here's you just the take out tip. the fruit. You just, yeah. You ready for the one that changed my life? Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready. When you're, well, even fresh, but even easier when it's frozen. If you use just a regular kitchen spoon, like uh, like dining spoon and scrape the peel off of ginger, mm -hmm. you, it, it'll come off faster and easier than cutting or trying to peel and you waste way less ginger it just try it it's amazing mm. just peel it with a, a spoon out of your drawer okay because uh, it, it, uh, I love ginger I think ginger honestly might be one of my favorite ingredients yeah I'll, t I'll tell you so I have a friend who swears by this whenever he like feels a, a cold coming on he will take um, a couple of slices of ginger and a whole clove of garlic. Yeah, just a small one. So I he'll absolutely he'll, know this. He'll swallow a clove of garlic and then just slice off a couple of thin slices of ginger and chew on those. And you know he'll the. Uh, clove, you know, about the size of a horse pill. So not, don't get some big piece of garlic. Just get a little small garlic bulb and uh, take that clove. And he swears he hasn't been sick for years because, you know, that just knocks it out almost as soon as he uh, he takes it. Kind of goes away. I will vouch that that is effective. Yeah, spends, he, says, he spends 24 hours smelling like a giant piece of garlic but i i only hang out with people who also love garlic <laughs> well there you go <laughs> so it's okay <laughs> i have They've a no i have care. a soup recipe that includes 52 cloves of garlic oh my 
uh, in a oh, soup recipe that hurt. serves four. That is, um, that it, is it's insane. 20, 20 unpeeled roasted garlic and then basically yeah. 26 more, 36 more. But if you roast the garlic, it actually takes away some right. of the, that's why it, there's it, it that's why there's only twenty kind of, roasted ones. It offsets right. the flavor a little bit, right? Yeah, but exactly. this is still a potent soup, and it is amazing <laughs> for cold season. Oh, I bet with and some so, ginger too. Yeah, systematic really could be a cooking show. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I feel like I could do a whole separate podcast on cooking. Oh, dude, you and me both. I mean, <laughs> I mean, because you do a lot of cooking, I do a lot of cooking, right? So, so are, yeah, are we proposing a new about, podcast? You want to get back in the game? Be. I'm just saying, it could be. I I could talk about about cooking for a very long it. time for many episodes. Um, all right, number three. Do we do we yeah, do I get for number it. three? Do we get number three? Okay. Um, so, uh, I was gonna, I'm, I was going to try to avoid the, the kind of cooking, eating, uh, sort of theme, but, uh, uh Why bother? yeah, it doesn't look like I'm going to, I'm going to be able to avoid it. All right. So I'm, here's the problem. I'm not even sure what what this thing is called uh, but uh i'm gonna try to find the link when we're done here uh find a link and send it to you if i can find it online i found mine at axeman ah oh, i love axeman i was just going I'm, I'm packing all my stuff up today sorry for the, the tangent but i'm packing all my stuff up because i'm moving out today which is a whole nother story but oh my gosh. I'm finding notes. boxes of things I've gotten from Axeman, including <laughs> stuff I got for home automation and have used, including like old Mercury switches and yeah. the thing from grocery stores that counts the number of people who come through the door that I would yes. use as a trigger to. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so we got to describe because, you know, well, there's very <laughs> really few listeners up in the Twin Cities, but Axeman Surplus is is a surplus store for everything for everything like for everything you they have an iron lung still probably at the one in st paul like anything you could like if think of the craziest possible thing you could possibly think of i can guarantee you that they have it (laughs) or if they don't now they did it one time and could probably still get it <laughs> it's true and the whole the whole thing is staffed by people who love building yeah who love like just tinkering with stuff and like taking all these craziest crazy parts from all these other things and putting them together but there's also like like you know bona fide like good stuff like you can go get like you know like bags and backpacks and stuff Even like that the junk is good stuff to somebody Right, exactly, right? <laughs> so I found these bottle openers. <laughs> this just sounds so crazy, I know, but they're just amazing. It's this, like, cylinder. You literally, you put it on the top of the bottle, and you just give it a good press, and it removes the cap off the top of the bottle. Is it easier than, because well, I yes. generally, I'll just use a yes. lighter in my finger. Yes. But no, no, yes, yes. I mean, you put it on and go, and done. <laughs> it kind of literally makes that sound, too. 
cap gone, and there's a little magnet that that captures the cap. When do you think these were originally? I have, no, I have no idea. All I know is that someone gave one to me, and they're like 97 cents at Axeman. That's the other thing about Axeman. Everything is literally like so cheap that you can't not buy it. <laughs> exactly. That's the problem with Axeman. <laughs> you go in for this one thing, and you walk out with $20 worth of stuff, but you're carrying a grocery bag yeah. for that. Yep. For that $20 worth of stuff, Two right? to the car. <laughs> so they're 97 cents. So I went and bought, bought a dozen of these to give out as like Christmas presents, stocking stuffers sort of things this, this Christmas because it's it's amazing. I, it, it makes like opening a bottle like fun. It's one of those things that every time you use it, you just go, okay, that was cool. <laughs> Is your silver and black? Mine is silver and black. I think I found it. Oh, yes, yes. Please tell me you did. Send me a link, and I'll tell you if it, uh, in the... the uh, yeah, I'll just send uh, you the link right now. Yeah, send me the link, and I'll tell you if that's it. Yeah, let's see. Uh, let's take a look here. Uh, I'm curious to find out. Me too. Yes, that's it. Six ninety nine. That's a ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> So six ninety nine on Amazon, but Amazon. if you're in Minneapolis, <laughs> well, if you're in Paul, go to Axeman. They've got these things for ninety seven cents, and they've got them in 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 like all sorts of colors too. So you can get like blue ones, white ones, red ones, purple ones. <laughs> nice. <laughs> they are great. They are really really cool. Highly recommend it. They should make a, a similar design for corks now. Yeah. Oh my gosh! If they made. If they made a cork opener that worked this good, <laughs> oh, cheapers, I would be so all over that. You, I've, I've made the mistake of getting into price. wine. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I, you know, we're kind of into wine, so that would just be. What's your favorite? That, what's your favorite? Uh, what would you say, vineyard make uh, producer of wine? So that's a really, really. Yeah, tough that's probably a whole episode, huh? That that is a whole episode by itself. I'm but. at the point right now in my my wine connoisseurship where I find it easiest to stick to like Bogle and Klein. Mm-hmm. And in well, Klein's good. I I have enjoyed Klein. I have enjoyed Klein and Bogle's Ancient Vines. Those have been anyway. That is literally a whole episode because I yeah, don't know yeah. Jack uh, still learning. Klein's ancient vines are really good. We've actually been to Klein. Whenever we go out to San Francisco, we generally make a side trip to Napa, uh, the wife and I. Um, and uh, and yeah, we've been out to Klein uh, a few times, uh, and Klein is really nice. Um, there's uh, some time. Um, Trader Joe's. If you have a Trader Joe's in your area, they carry this. Um, I believe they carry it other places. Uh, but there is a, uh, I believe it's a uh, a Spanish producer, might be Italian, called Griffone, uh, G-R-I-F-F-O-N-E. Um, and uh, they make a, they make some really, really good wines that are dirt cheap, but taste like, Forty fifty dollar wines, no joke. I've never bought a forty fifty dollar wine. I have. I've, I've bought and a I twenty dollar wine. <laughs> and I can I can tell you that this is as good as those. Huh. Awesome. 
All right. Mm. I, I, I would like to mention that my interest in wine, like I've always, I've, I've known the difference between what I like and what I don't like. But I love cooking uh, bolognese sauce. Mm-hmm. I have been obsessed with finding the perfect recipe or making the perfect recipe. And my mm-hmm. current one, I, I, I have like four pages of notes on it right now that I really want to write up. Um, That's so nerdy. <laughs> I know. Like, well, this it's, it's, I don't know. I got obsessed with it because there's amazing chemistry involved with, you know, how things are combined and in what order and how things are prepared. And like, at mm-hmm. this point I'm grinding, I'll, I'll like dry roast the whole bunch of like fennel and bay leaves and whole cloves and then grind that in a pepper or a, a spice mill and then mm. use that to season the the celery and carrot it gets complex and i enjoy yeah. complexity but the the key thing that i kept trying I, I had always assumed that you could use different wines for cooking and it didn't really matter like you could use cheap wine it's, you're just boiling it off anyway but i found that not to be true so i started researching and uh, the last one I did was with uh, Thomas Henry 2012 Zinfandel. Zinfandel is almost required for a good bolognese. Anyway. Wow. That's part of our wow. cooking, our cooking podcast. Yeah, so I haven't actually had lunch yet. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. Could you tell? Because <laughs> all we're doing is talking about food. Yes, I have big plans. Uh-huh. Wait, we I haven't should, even gotten to your third pick yet. This, I'm going like, to make my serious, favorite is, lunch. Well, this is two podcast episodes. You realize that, right? Like, you're going to have to, like, split this and edit this in half. My last three episodes have all been over an hour by a good margin. So oh I'm just I'm just changing the format. Uh, <laughs> my favorite lunch, though, is uh, like a egg sandwich, uh, mm-hmm. like breakfast sandwich. With bacon, eggs, uh, and then various other toppings between two English muffin halves. That is, I breakfast for lunch is like my favorite thing in the world. Yeah, well, and so for me, um, and I've written about this before. I can't remember where. It might even be in one of my books. But my uh, favorite is uh, French lunch, um, is what I call it. And it's basically this, a really well-made baguette. Um some grapes and a really good cheese. That's it. You rip off some baguette, you slice off a, you know, nice little slice of cheese, you pop those in your mouth. Uh, you you enjoy that, you counter the uh, uh, the kind of uh, earthiness of of those items with the fruitiness of some grapes. Uh, and it's wonderful. Throw in some wine on top of that, a good red wine. Preferably uh, something French. Yeah. What, what what more could you want in life? That right there is all that you need to survive. Send me a That's link it. to this. this is, uh, I'll, I'll find it. I'll, right. I'll find it. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my uh, I've started, I gave up beef. More, yeah. My wife almost does. entirely. So I, I rarely eat beef too. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I am a sympathetic vegetarian, but I do the ease of, protein and so i'll like cook a a few uh breast chicken breast fillets 
every week mm-hmm. and then just keep them cooked in the fridge and then make quick wraps and like a mm-hmm. uh, uh, chicken and uh, baby spinach and sometimes just chicken, baby spinach and sriracha sauce in a wrap is like a easy, easy lunch for me. I, I love yeah. that one. Anyway. Okay. So my third pick <laughs> to round out this cool. episode. Yes. Yeah. This, this episode where we're already allowing ourselves to, to swear. Uh, John Oliver in his last episode of 2016 closed out with a segment that was just titled fuck 2016. Yes. And it is, it is wonderful. (laughs) It is depressing, but wonderful. And, uh, it, it is not informative. It will not tell you why, but if you already feel the sentiment, it, it, it will, It'll make you feel okay about it. It'll, It'll make show you feel you a little bit better. How many people agree with you? Yes. So I will it. link that. It's available on YouTube. You can you can watch it without your HBO subscription, and uh, that will be my third pick. All right. Um, I'm 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 sending one more bonus link. This has nothing to do with food, but I, I'm. I'm actually depressed. I only got three picks because I actually. Uh, you I want some more? It's a, we're only seventeen minutes over an hour right now. All right, so just this one, just okay. this one. All right, so uh, lonely sandwich. Uh, Adam Lissiger, Leah, uh, Leah, uh, Lisa Gore. Uh, <clears throat> uh, link to this is basically to close out his his. Tumblr site, uh, which has been acting as blog for a long time, which he has not posted to very recently. But he said, look, I'm, it's obvious I have no interest here, so I'm going to shut it down. But I'll leave you with this because this actually, uh, to me, proves the existence of God. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and what he says about it, everything he says about it, 100 percent true. I just sent you the link. Uh, it's a band called Snarky Puppy, a song called Lingus. And there is a keyboard solo by by jazz keyboard prodigy Corey Henry that is hands down perhaps one of the top musical performances I've ever seen in my life. I would I would definitely put it in the top three up there with one that I literally have listened to and listened to at least once every couple of weeks, which I'll mention. I don't necessarily have to link to unless Brett really wants to, but it's uh, Prince's performance uh, in uh, a uh, performance of While My Guitar Gently Weeps at the Rock and Roll uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame honoring George Harrison. Um, where, you know, you've got Jeff Lynn on the stage, you've got Tom Petty. I mean, the stage is just filled with musical legends and Prince gets up there and plays guitar solo that makes them all look completely uh, silly because <laughs> because it it literally just steals the show. And at the end, it's so good that at the end of his solo, he throws his guitar up into the air and it never comes back down, proving <laughs> that God said said i'm taking this one into heaven 
I'm taking it, <laughs> taking it back. That this that this guitar is not worthy any longer to be held into human hands. So I refuse to return it back down. It, it is it is my snatched by the hands of God. Um, this performance by Corey Henry is is up there, if not above it. I'm surprised that God didn't take his keyboard away after it. Trust me on this. Watch I, this. I do trust you, and I do I do want uh, links to the Prince video as well, if you can find that. Yeah, yeah, I can. I can. It's it's amazing and awesome. And I, that's one I actually have bookmarked because I watch it so much. Um, I feel like uh, two Minnesotans doing a show about 2016, the year that Prince died. We should probably go ahead and link any mention of Prince. Uh, agreed completely. Um, no, I don't want that. All right. All right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Where are we going to... Uh, how are we going to leave this one? Oh, I'm going to do a fourth pick since that's what we're doing now. Oh, oh well. <laughs> okay, go for it. There's this song that I've been replaying all week, and I, I don't even know for myself why it's hitting me so hard. Um, the first line of it is what hooked me to begin with. The very first line of the lyrics is ma, uh, look what I did. Look what I did. Ma, look what I did to my hands. I broke them. And it is called sea lion. It's by Sage Francis. Hmm. And I am bizarrely obsessed with it. The rest of the album is good, but not on constant repeat for me. If you like hip hop, uh, you're familiar with Brother Ali, right? Oh, yeah. Brother Ali is awesome. Absolutely awesome. Yeah. I I feel like this fits into a, his, like Sage Francis. Have you, do you know Sage Francis? No. Um, not, I don't believe he's a, uh, a Minneapolis, a rhyme sayer. Yeah. Uh, he's not, but, okay. um, but it, it is the same. It's, it's white guys rapping. But yeah. in a in a way that you don't feel like they're <laughs> like like they're they're posing. They're, like they're, they're owning someone it. else's style. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, I I if nothing else, go listen to this song and and you can get to know a, a part of me, I guess. I found myself so wrapped up. My identity is so wrapped up as I'm moving here. There are books I can't throw away, even though I've read five times. And yeah. I can't get rid of them because I feel like having them on my bookshelf identifies me. That yeah, yeah. And it's the same with my music, and and the song has somehow worked its way into my pantheon. No, I actually have a a a shelf, uh, just a small shelf on the bookcase that's behind my desk, of books that, you know, basically have have formed who I am. Yeah. Um that I keep on hand that I revisit regularly. And some of these are like, are kind of reference sort of things that I'm going to pull out anyway. Um, you know, for instance, elements of style is on there, you know, cause it's one of those I you know, too. <laughs> pull out and refer to constantly. Um, but there are you several know, gra grammar books on that shelf for me. Right. But there's other things like, uh, Ernest Hemingway's for whom the bell tolls first edition. I have a first edition of that. Um, and that is, uh, one of the books on the shelf. Um, a book I've now read several times. Um, uh, I love it. It's, it's, a. Uh, 
it, it's it, it is the best Hemingway book. Um, uh, uh, and, and love it for its simplicity of story. Um, it, it, it's it's one of those uh, things that actually the book itself could be described in one of Hemingway's six word stories. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, because the concept is that simple, but what he does with it is so beautiful. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's important that, you know, yeah, I'm kind of known for being a minimalist and, you know, to get rid of it, it got too much stuff, you know, all this stuff you need. To but there's certain things that you need to hold on to certain places, special places you need to have for those things. And I really do believe that one of those is books, books that, that, that have, have deep meaning to you and that you, maybe you don't refer back to them often, but they're there to remind you of how you got to where you are now. I greatly appreciate hearing that because I've been pretty down on myself that I can't get rid of things that like, um, my, my brain tells me you shouldn't be defined by the things you own. You shouldn't be defined by, you know, uh, by things you've read or things you've listened to. Uh, why would you, you hold you on to markers of that? But You can't help but be defined by those things. Uh, they can't help but be shaped by them. And, and even if they don't represent where you are now, they represent where you were then, right? And that is important to important to know for the same reason that we discussed before about the design of the museum. It is, it, you know, it is these things and seeing these things and having an actual tangible link to these things that 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 remind us that we are free. I this is this is heartening. This is a this is a great way to end the episode. I agree. Talking about freedom and and personal development and history. Yeah. Oh, hey. That came. Hey, around. Brett. Hey, Brett. Yeah. I love you. It's going to be okay. You you have you have tremendous support, uh, and and you know, uh, we, you know, we haven't gotten into what you're going through right now, but just just do know that you have people who who love you, who support you, who understand you, who get you, who stand behind you. And are willing to be there for you whenever you need it. Just let us know, okay? I love you too, Patrick. All right. And ditto. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. This has been very worth my time, and I hope worth others as well. But quite frankly, it, it's really meant a lot to me. So I think if, we uh, will probably get a bo- bo- both get a lot of emails after this one. Yeah, I hope so. So, uh, yeah, pa- Patrick, Patrick Roan, Patrick, uh, P-A-T-R-I-C-K-R-H-O-N-E, like the river in France, like Cote de Rome wine, like uh, phone with an R. Um, uh, dot com is my main site, uh, but lately I've been pouring a lot of stuff into dot net. Uh, most of what you see on Twitter from me actually begins at patrickrone.net uh, because I use the fancy, uh, you know, uh, the triggering uh, thing, that internet ifty thing uh, to do all that magic for me. Um, so if you want to find where my stuff is, uh, check out those two places. Those are probably the best. Are you still uh, active on Twitter? Very much so, Patrick Roan. I'm Patrick Roan everywhere. Just Google my name. I'll fill up the first 10 to 15 uh, search results, uh, most of it good. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would say my first page of Google is all good. I've been yeah. so careful online. I there's really there's not much bad about me yet. But what I've learned yeah. about online personalities, one one incident. That's mm-hmm. all it takes. That's really all it takes. Career. I avoid it. I I avoid those incidents like like the plague uh, by just being perfectly nice and mediocre to everybody that I meet. <laughs> Ethical and helpful. That's always been my. my Amen, creator. brother. All right. Well, uh, um, I am uh, Brett Terpstra. You can find me at brettterpstra.com, which is three T's in the middle because Brett has two T's. And uh, <laughs> and then everywhere else, you only need the two T's because it's TT Scoff, uh, mm-hmm. S-C-O-F-F. So that'll get you GitHub, Last.fm, Twitter, Facebook, anything you want. It's always TT Scoff. You can even find me on Game Center as TT Scoff. I'm very oh, uncreative. What's amazing about being an old person is that these long-time kind of internet handles, back when you had to have a handle to be on the internet, you didn't like, you know, they they last. They survive everywhere, forever. (laughs) They really do. No one has ever tried to steal TT Scoff from me, but that is not a challenge if you're listening. Yeah. I have to make an effort, though, when new services come out and get initial uh, leverage. Mm-hmm. to grab TT Scoff. Just yeah, you get on there, you just grab it, you sign up for an account, you grab that, just to make sure no one else gets it. You don't actually use the thing. Yeah, I get it. I've, I've, I've been there, done that. I think I actually wanted something else when I first joined Twitter. Yeah. But I think everything was taken, but TT Scoff was available, so that... Yeah. Yeah. Then I decided to stick with it, so hey. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Patrick, for being here and for being so open. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. And, uh... We will see everybody in a week. Thanks for listening.